To what will I compare this generation? It is like a child sitting in the marketplaces calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a funeral song and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. Yet the Son of Man come, came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved to be right by her works. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have shown them to babies. Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness. My Father has handed all things over to me. No one knows the Son except the Father, and nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal to him. Come to me, all you, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all know I don't bite. All right. I'm going to sit up here, and if you guys could sit here or on that first pew, either one is totally fine. Um, so welcome. Thanks for being here this morning. Happy summer. Um, I, I wanted this these verses to stay up here for a minute because I want to make sure we know what we're talking about when we say yoke. So it says, come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. I wonder what Jesus is talking about when he says yoke. Hmm. Well, yeah, you don't wonder, Sam, because we talked about this. So, <laughs> so I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna admit something. When I was very small and I heard this verse in church, I was very confused because I thought that Jesus wanted to crack an egg on my head. Because, you know, a yolk is the yellow part in the middle of an egg, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was really confused about how that was going to be restful for my soul to have Jesus crack an egg on my head. Um, but that is not the yolk Jesus is talking about. And I have a picture. All right, can you see that? Yeah. Yeah, so it's two oxen. Um, and a farmer. Now, this is not, you know, specific to Jesus's time, but it's yokes didn't change much. The yoke is, I have a little tiny one right here. Um, it's the little wooden part, and it goes over the oxen's neck, um, and there's two of them, and then they can pull a cart or a plow. I know, isn't that a very tiny yoke? Um, do you want to, you guys can pass it around and touch it if you want. Um, that yoke belongs to Mr. Matt, my husband, and his dad carved that for him and put the, the Bible verse that we just read 
carved that reference in the middle of it so he could remember when uh, Jesus talks about taking his yoke. Um, so it's not an egg yoke. It's this kind of yoke. So if this is what Jesus is talking about, I wonder who, because it's, you know, we're not really, do, when we come to church, do we really put a big wooden thing on our neck? No. no. Okay, I've never seen that happen in church. And thank goodness the egg thing is not happening in church. Um, so this is kind of like a little parable. It's like a little tiny snippet of a parable, right, where things mean different things. I know, wouldn't that be funny? Um, so I wonder who this ox could be. Really? Maybe God? Maybe? Yeah. And I wonder who this ox could be. Maybe God. Maybe God? God is two oxen? Hmm. I wonder. Well, God is infinite everything. That's right. That's right. Oh, I don't know. Um, Maybe, maybe. God does make your heart. <laughs> Jesus is in your heart. That's true. We've got some big theology happening. He did die for us. That is true. So, so if... <laughs> so, hey, guys, I got one more question. So... If Jesus said to put on his yoke, I wonder if we're supposed to put it on, where do we go? Oh, so. Well, one thing that I will say, the, I know that the reason that Matt's dad made this for him was to remind him that you never yoke one oxen. So if it's Jesus's yoke, maybe Jesus and us are working together side by side. Uncle, can I just say something about the yoke? What, what did you want to say about a yoke? Yeah, if you used it upside down, there would only be space for one. But really, you you never you never yoke one oxen. It's always two. All right. Mm -hmm. You can see it. All right. I'm gonna pray for us real quick. <laughs> Dear Lord. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us, and thank you for this day, and thank you for yokes, egg yokes, and otherwise, and. Um, I pray that you will open our eyes and open our hearts to all the places that you're at work. Amen.
Always hard to follow Pastor Meg, not least for her killer mom jokes. Much respect on the pun, liturgical puns, I appreciate. Um, but, but I do appreciate following her emphasis on the light yoke in easy burden of Jesus. Because Christ's good news, even the hard parts, always start and they always end with God's overwhelming care and love. If there's a no in the gospel, it's always inside, tucked in, and enveloped by a yes. Uh, maybe not different than how like a parent's discipline and truth comes out of their daily, the daily context of their self-giving love and how they provide for their child. This all feels like the territory of paradox. Um, this passage that Kaylin read <coughs> seemed like several instances of two opposite things existing in the same space. They seem to conflict, but they both are in some way true. Jesus dives first into the paradox of his listeners' imaginative hospitality. Somehow they um, are well-versed in the things of God, but they don't understand and they cannot recognize when the things of God come to their doorstep, either in John or in Jesus. How do we ever have enough imaginative juice from where we are to receive God when God arrives to us? You see, Jesus confronts his contemporaries for their inability to see and hear and receive John or him. They dismiss each of them in specific ways. John is way too hardcore. They find that kind of off-putting. We want our, like, messianic road graders to be, like, kinder, gentler. You need to, to warm and earn my heart and mind before you prepare the way of the Lord. Thank you very much. John, after all, does strange things. He wears hair shirts. He eats bugs, right? This strikes them all that John might just be either a heretic or just a raving lunatic. They say he's got a demon. Who hasn't had that accusation heaped upon them? <laughs> and if they can write John off, they can write his embodied message off as mad or a little loony, they can just dismiss it. They can neutralize it by dismissing it. They can ignore him. They cannot make any changes. But then Jesus comes, the other side of that paradox coin, comes healing and partying. Jesus is the guy you want at your party. He's got all the <coughs> blue-collar bona fides. He's Mary's boy. They knew him. They saw him coming up back in the backwoods of Nazareth. And, but then they say, well, what good can come from Nazareth? Basically, they're saying, cool party tricks, Jesus, but get a job, get a life. God's stuff is serious. Don't you know that? You wouldn't understand. Leave that stuff for serious people. Truth and salvation rarely come to us in ways that we want, ways that we imagine, 
ways that we prefer or could receive. So whether it's packaged recognizably with a lot of effort and white-knuckle vigor, like John the Baptist, or more enigmatically with joy and excess, they call Jesus a glutton, a drunk, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Until we can imagine ourselves as part of God's story, not God as part of ours, we can't participate in it very well. I wonder what the excuses are that we use today to avoid receiving God when God comes to us, coming, the coming kingdom of God. Like I, it makes me think of that story, the parable in uh, Luke 14, where the, there's a wedding banquet. I, I loved in our songs today, there was like dancing and partying was, was uh, happening so much. We will feast, we will dance. Like um, That all sounds good, but in the context of our passage, it, it feels like that's like kind of scandalous also. And like, like maybe if it were to happen, we maybe would clutch our imaginary pearls, right? Um, but in John 14, Jesus is talking about this cosmic banquet that is happening, and he's inviting all the people who you might expect to be at this banquet, and they all have excuses. You know, classic things. I, I bought land, got to go see my land, got an ox, got to go test drive my ox, got to see if I can yoke one ox because I only bought one ox, or got to see how that ox will yoke to my previously owned ox, stuff like that, you know. Um, or I got married. Classic excuse, right, guys? Um, it makes me wonder, though. Oh, and, and then he kind of gets tired of asking because he's just getting the string of excuses, and then he just goes out to the highways and byways and invites the least likely people to show up. So the least likely become the most likely. Makes me also wonder what... Uh, what are our barriers for imagining ourselves as part of God's paradoxical work of liberation? We see that thread so much throughout Scripture, this, this loosening thread. Um, in, in fact, the, the word for um, deliverance of God, for, for God's freedom, is, is this, this word of loosening, of untying, of, of, of breaking chains. What are our barriers for imagining ourselves as part of that work? <coughs> then, in our passage not read today, you didn't miss anything. It wasn't up there, Kaylin. Jesus curses this sort of short-sightedness. You see, the Revised Common Lectionary has this tendency. They kind of clean things up by clipping out passages um, the committee probably assumes are like confusing or in poor taste. Um, I, I, I once took a a Revelation class, uh, book of Revelation class from Richard Hayes, and there's that, uh, again, at the end of Revelation, that part about um, that, like, curse on those who leave out any part of Scripture. It's all, uh, and and uh, he noted that that's actually pulled out of the Revised Common Lectionary. <laughs> uh, <coughs> um, I feel like, though, they're, they're trying to anticipate how it would sound for someone, like, in a clerical collar to be like saying that passage after like an organ solo or like a bell choir special music or something. Um, it is alighted from our passage today, but it shows angry Jesus. 
This is a very rare Jesus collector card. Angry Jesus. And this angry Jesus names names. He, it almost seems like he's like doing two things, playing two parts. He's, <coughs> he's like, you accuse me of being good cop Jesus, so I'm going to be bad cop Jesus for a moment. He says, you guys are the ones that want to harden jerk for God. So uh, let's play that game. He goes, here you go. And he starts naming names. He says, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Tyre, Sidon, come get some, Capernaum. And these are all places that he had done powerful miracles. Yet they've immunized themselves from repentance from receiving God, from turning, from changing their hearts and minds. Jesus has no problem looking or speaking to large groups, even whole nations, and expecting repentance. He, he, he talks to individuals, but he also talks to these large groups. I love in Stanley Hauerwas's commentary on this passage in Matthew, he calls these large groups that Jesus talked to uh, collectivities of perverse normality. Collectivities of perverse normality. I wonder which collectivities of perverse normality we're part of. Probably several different ones, not just this one. And he looks at these groups and he calls them to repentance. He calls us to repentance. If you want to see this sort of like group, collective dynamic of, like, repentance recoil, <laughs> it's still very real, I, I assure you. Start poking around and wonder about best practices of repair for a history of uh, chattel slavery and a culture built on the backs of black people. That might do it. <laughs> Start talking about, like, earnest immigration reform and migrant worker rights. Things get kind of chippy. White blood cells start to mobilize. But inside of this, no, you're doing it wrong, do better, is a huge and overwhelmingly good yes. This is the paradox of living the Jesus life. The paradox right at the center of the Christian life that is hidden and white out in the open, that is simple and pure enough for babies who can only process breast milk and formula, but substantive enough that it can sustain us ongoingly and give us everything that we need to grow, strong spiritual muscles and antibodies. It's a paradox because it's, it's hard and it's easy, it's heavy and it's light. Jesus and John the Baptist model this paradox in their bodies. They show that the world reacts violently to the kingdom of God. John's head would end up on a platter. Jesus' body naked on a cross, abandoned outside of the city gates. These are kingdom of God case studies, which shouldn't surprise us given the history of what happened to the prophets. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the closer we get to this kingdom, God's invading and enduring reign of peace and abundance, that when that happens in a place that is built on strategic scarcity and partisanship and planned obsolescence, things start to go a little wonky. So we might start to feel this friction, this conflict, and it starts to set 
alarm bells off. When you start to feel that, it, it, it can often feel like, like something's wrong, like you're not doing this right. Following Jesus with other people shouldn't feel this uncomfortable. But part of the paradox of the Jesus way is that there actually might be much more friction living this sort of collective life. Because the alternative is just living on greased skids of a death-dealing culture, lifting your feet so that you're headed downstream to wherever the current is taking you. I always think of that line in the Wendell Berry poem when he says, it is the impeded stream that sings. We only get beauty and joy and sound by an impeded stream, those, those bumpy rocks. In this way, it is hard, and in a world that is created and good and beautiful and broken and malformed by sin, trying to stay still on an airport sidewalk that moves takes a lot of effort and endurance. It's really hard. It feels like cutting against the grain of the universe. Sometimes it feels like cutting against the grain of our own habits. But it's also easy. It can be easy. Inasmuch as Jesus' invitation to follow is sometimes an invitation to just step off of the treadmill altogether. Jesus invites us to slow down, to, to opt out, to, to resist, but also to rest. Jesus offers an alternative where we can disrupt the ongoing inevitability of it all. We can be grafted into God's inevitability. This kingdom of God that comes to us on earth as it always has been in heaven. So this is, a, this is like a culture shift. That's what Jesus' sermon was about, this culture, the Sermon on the Mount, the least, the last, lost, littlest, and closest to death, the, the, you know, the mourning, the meek, the tired, the menders. They're winning even when it looks like losing and even when the game seems like it's rigged. And so... This Christian life, even and especially when it's well-lived, it's heavy, too. It is. It's, it's heavy stuff. It's, there's a denseness. There's a, a gravity to it. It's heavy the way, like, expensive things are heavy, right? Cheap things are light. It means you might be more awake to suffering in this world than you would care to be if God didn't have a claim on this world, on every inch every corner of creation and, and also if, if Christ didn't play in 10,000 places, if, if every person you meet wasn't in some way some sort of witness to God's kingdom. Paul writes in, in the letter to Galatians, bear each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. That means that oftentimes we'll be actually called to carry more than we care to. That's a description of the heavy life, bearing each other's burdens. It means caring more than ourselves, um, caring more and caring more than ourselves or our family or our friends, for more than our countrymen or class or kin. But it is this, this mutual caring, carrying together, 
that can make others' burdens lighter. And actually, when, when you need your burdens to be lighter, they'll be lighter too because other people are carrying them. This is what Jesus is imagining. This is what Jesus is making possible. A world so secure, so durable, so held that we are called to bear it with him. I love that little, tiny little yoke with a spot for us in this mysterious other spot that Jesus actually takes more than half the load. Takes all the load, but we still have work to do. It means that we'll still be held up when we can't hold it any longer. This is a paradoxical kingdom. It's built on welcome and sharing, which means welcoming and recognizing and receiving God's work and presence even when it looks and feels strange and doesn't fit us like a glove. It means sharing and burdens we're often privileged enough to set aside or ignore if we wanted to. We could just put them on someone else. It's a paradoxical good news that's built around the cross. The cross, that forsaken place where who God is and what God does becomes clear. God is close to the suffering. God shares in and bears sin and suffering for us and with us. When this good news comes to you this week, will you be in a position to receive it? Will your heart be open enough to receive it? Will your hands be open enough to grab onto it? This hard and easy and heavy and light truth that changes everything. This is the sort of truth that, that reorganizes our lives. It reorganizes our priorities. It reorganizes our friendships. It, it, it moves the furniture around in the universe. It, it, it changes and transforms and transfigures and makes possible our ability to be together through great difference, through a ton of frustration and these imaginative paradoxes that sometimes don't even feel like they can hold, but God has made a way in Jesus' outstretched arms hold all of these things together. Will you all pray with me? <coughs> Jesus, forgive us um, when we get this wrong, when we um, can't stand the paradox of it all when we just want to simplify and run to um, a pole um, that feels like less work or less friction. Forgive us when, frankly, we don't have a imagination baptized or big enough for your work. Uh, we never will, but you make that possible, so expand our imaginations. Give us faith that we can step out and, and walk with you. Thanks for the ways that you come to us over and over again. Open our eyes and ears and hearts to you. We're all this in Jesus' name. Amen.